This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, and I welcome you to the 38th edition of the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I thank you for taking the time to either listen on iTunes or view on YouTube, and uh, we encourage you to invite others uh, to tune in as well. We hope uh, in the next couple of weeks to be expanding the Thrive Podcast from one a week to five days a week. We'll be talking more about that as we get closer to that time. Today, I'm very grateful to have uh, as my guest a member of the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church and an outstanding citizen of this community doing great work in the areas of civil rights and community activism and social justice, Ms. Joanne Porter. Joanne, thank you for taking the time to come and share with us on the Thrive Podcast today. Thank you for having me. Let me start <clears throat> by asking you to do what I ask most people to do. Tell us who Joanne Porter is. Hmm. I am the fifth child of Lillian and Johnny Porter, who's deceased. And I'm just a wonderful, nice, hardworking <laughs> mother of one, Miss Brittany Breon Porter. And really, I'm just a simple person, not a whole lot else about me. I am a work, I work in HR, have been for years, been a trainer. Most people will know me for being a trainer. I get stopped all the time in the store. You used to be my trainer. I was a trainer for 15 years at Converges and different places around town. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my go-to. Um, I think that's what I am in, at heart, a trainer. Okay. Yeah. So how did you end up at Shiloh? I have been at Shiloh since 1998. I moved here in 1998, me and my daughter. And um, I moved here probably in July, right before school started. And I actually joined in December, so it didn't take me long. Okay. A young lady that I actually worked with, um, I was an instructor at Remington College at that time, and she was attending Shiloh. Okay. And so she invited me, and I came a few times. My brother lived here at the time, and he was attending Mount Pilgrim. Okay. So it was like, you need to go to Mount Pilgrim. You need to I said, but I like Shiloh. That music be good and, you know, whatever. So the rest is history. And I, I joined um, after a few months of um, visiting, and I've been here ever since then. So. And you moved here from where? Bogalusa. 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 Yeah, the Bogalusa. The big metropolis That's of Bogalusa. Right. Yes. The great city of Bogalusa. <laughs> Some great people have come from Bogalusa. <laughs> well, uh, what do you think about Baton Rouge uh, as a place to live? You've been here 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, I usually save this question till the end, but since since we're talking about it now, let's just talk about it now. Uh, as you said, you're a mother. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a, a, a young daughter. Uh, would you like to see your daughter uh, live in Baton Rouge? Of course, it's her choice, but, yeah. but would you like to see her? Uh, would you be pleased if she chose to make Baton Rouge her home? Um, originally, my daughter is 26, and so she lives in Dallas now. She's mm -hmm. been there for about three years. 
when she was considering moving, you know, I don't necessarily think it was because I thought Baton Rouge was the greatest place to live, just, hey, stay here, you know, you can, you know, get your foot off the ground and do well. But now that I see that she's flourishing in Dallas and the opportunities that she has um, had a chance to receive, I think it was a, a great idea for her. Mm -hmm. And the reason why, comparing, I guess, living here versus living in another city or state, I don't think there are a lot of opportunities for um, that age group, meaning job-wise, um, in many cases. I do think that Baton Rouge is more of a town of who you know, and if you have the right connections, mm -hmm. then you'll get that great job, mm -hmm. you know, versus you living in another city, you kind of have a clean slate, and, you know, it, it's not it's not the same. And I do think that that's a lot um, with Baton Rouge. It's kind of like, you know, you if you're rubbing elbows with the right person and, you know, you've got that good connection, you'll have that opportunity. And again, um, like I said earlier, I work in HR. I know that I've had the opportunity of recommending jobs and positions for people, but I've also been on the opposite side, even being in HR for years, but being without a job. And literally, jobs that I've received have been because someone have, you know, made that connection and mm -hmm. made that call. Not because I have a degree, not because I've been doing the same thing for 15 years or wow. so. It's just because of who I know. So I think the opportunity is better other places because of that. I have deep concerns about the brain drain on uh, this community mm -hmm. because uh, young African-American people, uh, after they get their degree, whether it be mm -hmm. from Southern or LSU, yeah. uh, find it necessary to relocate mm -hmm. in order to pursue their yeah. life's ambitions. Exactly. And uh, <clears throat> someone who's in the community, someone who's working uh, hard uh, hiring people right. to actually work here. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious as to what thoughts you have about things that Baton Rouge could do better to retain the talent uh, that is here. Clearly there's a lot of talent yeah. that's here. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but what can we do as a community? And secondarily, what can the black church do to help retain mm -hmm. uh, some of that talent here? Yeah. Well, one of the things that um, I think about, and, and even, you know, with my niece, she recently graduated from Southern in engineering and has struggled, you know, for those two years until recently getting a job in that field. And a lot of times I was calling people that I knew, you know, get her this interview or whatever in, in that case, when really clearly, you know, she has a degree in engineering, she's done the work and right. she should be able to stand on her own. So I think what we could do or should do differently is have those opportunities, meaning like either posting jobs, people that work in those areas have many job fairs at church because, you know, we kind of church members are kind of like our little families anyway. Mm -hmm. We see them often on a regular basis. Right. They know about things that are going on. Many events that go on in town, I find out from people at church. Mm -hmm. So same thing with a job. And I think that churches should make available on a regular basis different opportunities that are out there. You know, um, if there are folks 
you know, can, who can provide information about jobs. Mm -hmm. Let's post that information, um, have it visible, be able to communicate that, because there are people who are sitting right in our audience who do not have a job and would love for someone to just say, hey, go look at the posting in the yeah. back. There's a job listed yeah. there, yeah. you know, and that could just kind of really make their day to even just get a, an interview, if, if nothing else. Seems like a very simple idea and yeah. one that we should incorporate here at Shiloh. Beyond word of mouth, we should have something posted on a regular basis mm -hmm. about jobs. That, that's a very good thought. Terrence, we're going to do that, okay? We, we, we're going we're gonna to figure right. out how, 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 how to idea. do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I wanted you here, not just as a member of Shiloh, and, and we'll talk about Shiloh uh, before we're done, okay. but you have recently been uh, named the president of the local chapter of the NAACP, National mm -hmm. Association for the Advancement of Colored People, for those who might not be familiar with the acronym. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about that appointment, and if you could... Help us to draw lines of distinction and commonality mm -hmm. between the local NAACP, the state NAACP, and the national NAACP. I, mm -hmm. I said to you before we started taping, uh, quite often when we hear NAACP, we just think that it's one monolithic thing mm -hmm. and that what's true in one area of the country or mm -hmm. one community is true in another, much like we think about the church. When we say the church, everybody thinks that oh, their church, church experience is the church exactly. experience, and that's not necessarily the case. So help us understand what your role is and what the local chapter of the NAACP is focusing okay. on. Okay. Um, well, yes, I'm a member of the NAACP, have been... Um, um, second vice president, vice president, and recently um, named the interim president um, after our previous president um, um, resigned. So I'm in that role currently, and um, the distinctions between the three the national NAACP, the state NAACP, and the local branch. Obviously, the national NAACP, it's like our mother organization, and they kind of have created the bylaws and the Constitution, which all local and state branches are to follow by. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much um, consistent across the board. Okay. But we are divided up into regions and so we are actually region six and so we are that particular region which includes houston and, and this particular area we have a state organization state president um who is michael mcclanahan now and the state has their um not bylaws or, or guidelines but they have what they're focusing on, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. They are focusing on, and the state focuses on all of the different parishes and things like that. Right. He's responsible for identifying all of those, the, all of the parishes and the cities within the state. And the local branch is really just focused on, and we are the East Baton Rouge Parish mm -hmm. um, in AACP. Mm -hmm. So that's basically kind of what we deal with. And issues that come up in this particular city, issues that um, we want to have addressed. So we don't cross over and go into West Baton Rouge Parish because they, you know, or anything like that. If those issues, something needs to be resolved over there, we usually direct it to the state level. Okay. So a lot of times there may be a um, 
news report or something like that that comes blanketed from, you know, the NAACP. It may be on the national level, and obviously some things that we're doing here, the national is not um, behind mm -hmm. because we actually manage ourselves, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. Now, if there are some things that need to be addressed um, that may be not going right, we're not following our bylaws, the first source would be through the national but within our region. We have a national representative, but she resides, she's over this particular region. Okay, so that's kind of how that, um, I guess that answers the question a little yeah, bit. Uh, right now, your area of focus mm -hmm. seems to be with regard to law enforcement mm -hmm. and, and law enforcement reform. Okay. Uh, in fact, uh, we just recently promoted uh, a, a conversation that the NAACP is sponsoring yes. uh, between the community, uh, clergy, uh, government officials, mm -hmm. and police officers, mm -hmm. law, law enforcement professionals. Expand on that. T t tell us okay. more about that. Um, we now have embarked on what is called a collective healing grant, and we have partnered with, and and let me say it this way, the International Association for Chiefs of Police, they identified an opportunity mm -hmm. for certain cities who had um, experienced a, um, a high televised situation mm -hmm. um, with crime and police. And, and in our case, it was the um, scenario with Alton Sterling mm -hmm. and that incident. And so we were one of the cities that were chosen to receive this grant. And the purpose of the grant, Collective Healing, is basically try to work collectively together with other organizations and the NAACP is one, Southern University is in partnership with this, LSU, um, mental area, health, as well as the 100 black men. Those okay. are the five groups. We're in partnership with BRPD and, and the city and the mayor, if you will. And so our role in, in this, the NAACP, we have been um, given the um, challenge or the task of hosting events, okay, for the next year, started October 1 through uh, September 30th of 2019. Okay. And we've already had one event, which was a tailgating event at, on campus where we did a survey, um, had about four questions asking folks um, their opinion about the police and different things like that. Got a very good response. Over 200 people um, did the survey. And so our second event, which is coming up, it's called Chatting with the Cops. Right. So this um, particular event is going to be where we um, have an opportunity. We had some listening sessions to go back in the summer where um, citizens, if you will, came together, shared their concerns and their, and their questions about what was going on, how police are reacting to us, what is going on with all of the high crime. So we wanted to do a little twist and actually have the police present okay. when that conversation is uh, being held. Okay. So we're going to have two police officers that are going to be present. We've asked some um, ministers um, to be um, on that panel and um, some activists. We've gotten a college student, our actual president of the NAACP on Southern's campus. She's going to be there and another young man. So we want to kind of get every little dynamic uh, from a um, faith-based organization um, 
from young adult, mm -hmm. and um, we also have a um, mother who has um, lost a son through um, gun violence, and she's going to be there as well to share her um, ideas about it. And it's really to get us talking and, and sharing and not necessarily blaming, but right. also hearing what the police have to say, hearing a person who's experienced a loss with their, uh, with their son, hearing some young folks who are in college and who are a little nervous about what's mm -hmm. happening and, and how should they react and how should they communicate with the police when stopped. So the police will give that feedback as well on mm -hmm. some things that we should be doing or, or not be doing. And so I think it's a great opportunity for anyone to come. Obviously, we're going to have try to have a structured environment, mm -hmm. you know, where there's some strategic um, questions that we want to have um, targeted, but also we're going to have it where you can just have some free questions that you may want to ask mm -hmm. and, and to, you know, see what others feel about it and see how we can come together because at the end of the day, it's all about making a difference. And I know I've always been that person, which is one of the reasons I joined. I'm always at home giving my two cents about what should be done, who mm -hmm. should do this and mm -hmm. all of that, but not really getting in the game. Mm -hmm. So that's what I want people to come out and do. All of these conversations that you have, and what's funny is that when you announced it on Sunday, people were stopping me. Oh, and what y'all need to say at the thing is this. <laughs> oh, and make sure you don't have a lot of people that do a whole lot of talking. And make sure, I'm like, okay, so I want to make sure those yeah. people are present because... And they are interested, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. And so so it was really good that people were really wanting to, you know, have their say about it. Yeah. And, and I've gotten stopped even when we were doing the tailgating. So many people came and said, oh, and y'all need to start asking these questions. So people want to be involved. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to give them that opportunity to do that in, a, in an environment where you can feel comfortable and, and asking the question and in that setting. So we want to try to get as many people as possible to be able to share and hear, even if you just come in to listen. And maybe mm -hmm. you can hear something that you could just take back to your, your individual family, mm -hmm. your church family, or, or any organization that you're a part of. So it's not merely police-involved shootings. It's shootings in total? It's, uh, it's going to be both. Okay. Okay, so we want to give the opportunity to talk about police-involved shootings, okay. and we want to give the opportunity for police to share about, because one of their, um, I guess, questions, concerns, or, you know, there are some shootings that don't involve police, right. and, are, and are we really getting involved in that? Because right. sometimes we kind of just look, you know, at the police and what they're doing, but we don't really get into the, you know, just the traditional black-on-black black crime that we see here all the time. And I know I do. My daughter, you know, of course, being here, and, and she knows everybody. She calls me all the time. Oh, Mom, did you hear about such and such person? So I, I'm always kind of on edge when I hear that on the news, because I'm like, is this someone that came to my house with my daughter? Because in that age group, they're experiencing that. And she's came home to, to several funerals of people that mm -hmm. she know. So it does involve quite a bit, yeah. you know, outside of the police. So if we want to kind of do twofold. We want to get the, um, the perspective on the police-involved shootings as mm -hmm. well as the other crimes that we hear and see on a daily basis. So, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, what it sounds to me like you're saying is that these, these listening sessions mm -hmm. are primarily information-gathering vehicles. Mm -hmm. Once you gather all of this information, mm -hmm. what happens to it after that? After that, we are... We, the NAACP, is responsible for providing that information to the police. Okay. Okay, so that they can actually 
look at it, see it, you know, and identify what they can do differently. Do you know who within the police department will receive your report? Will it be the chief of police? Will it be someone else within the police department? Or, or, mm -hmm. or, it's going to be the chief of police okay. that's going to receive it. And actually, um, the deputy chief of police is on, on this team that okay. we're on. So it's it's directly um, being channeled through him. Okay. Yeah, so we do know that. And will you... You being the, the NAACP, will you have expected uh, timelines for the police department to respond to the information that you provide to them? Uh, I, I just came back from from, from, from a, a conference uh, mm -hmm. in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, and one of the things that was talked about was holding politicians mm -hmm. accountable yeah. uh, for uh the things that they promise. Right. Uh, politicians love to come to churches uh, during election season, mm -hmm. uh, but you don't see them again once election season is exactly. over. And if that's not you, then I'm not talking about you, but I am talking about somebody. Um, but but one of the things that, that was brought out is that local churches and church groups uh, need to develop a, a an instrument mm -hmm. by which they hold politicians accountable. You promised this, mm -hmm. and and this is what you have actually right. delivered. And they developed a report card, mm -hmm. you know, where, where you received a letter grade. And I guess what I'm asking yeah. is, uh, does the NW beyond the information gathering, mm -hmm. and, and once you gather it and 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 uh, deliver it to the police department, is there an expectation that they will respond to what you delivered? And will the NAACP hold police department, the local police department accountable mm -hmm. uh, for, for the information that you all have given to them? Right. That's the plan. The plan is for us to provide this information to them. And, and, and there's an outline that we've been given in order to do that. Mm -hmm. And they are supposed to take that information and, and, and show and demonstrate that they are making some type of change. Okay. Obviously, you know, they're not going to do every single thing that we right. say, but it should be. So um, is there an absolute dead timeline of that? I don't have that, but I'm definitely thinking that once we, um, this year is uh, September 30th, mm -hmm. that we should be definitely seeing some improvement. Mm -hmm. Because, like, we're having this event on December um, 6th, but our next event won't be to January. So it's like once a month. Once a month. So we may have something that come up in May that's fantastic that we definitely want you to change this. Right. So certainly we will still have to um, let a few months pass mm -hmm. um, before we can actually see some of these implementations, if you will. But yes, that's the goal of it. Even like with um, um, the LSU, one of the pieces that they had was they did a survey with the police. Mm -hmm. Now, we did surveys with the, um, the citizens and the folks that were at the tailgating. Mm -hmm. And so asking them specific questions and that feedback was given back in one of the meetings that we had. So it's been turned around um, throughout our meetings and our sessions okay. that of what we're getting. Right. But like you said, the timeline or when we're going to start seeing um, those changes, like I said, I would assume that it would be for sure after we finish and complete this um, collective healing grant. Good, good, good. So in your role uh, with the NAACP, you're, you're a young woman. Mm -hmm. The NAACP has a reputation, whether it's correct or incorrect, mm -hmm. 
uh, or deserved or undeserved, has a reputation of being uh, an organization from a bygone mm-hmm. era, uh, filled with people who are of a different age group mm-hmm. than yourself. Right. Set us straight. What does the local NAACP look like? Like what you said. But <laughs> <laughs> we are trying to, and, you, and you're right, and, um, and we get that a lot. And one of the things that I uh, have been trying to do is incorporate more young people. We say it all the time. Mm-hmm. We need more young people. We need, I even say it for my own self because, you know, when there's, there's certain things that when you start getting older, you're like, well, what time is it? Mm-hmm. Where we got to go? You know, or whatever. So a lot of younger folks are a little bit more amped up. Okay. Oh, y'all got an event? What time it start? They're mm-hmm. going to go. So we, you know, our little joke is is that we need them to, you know, come in and encourage us a little bit more. Right. So, yes, we do. And traditionally at our meetings, um, we do have um, an, an older uh, membership, mm-hmm. and we are trying to move that further along. And that's one of the things that I've been doing, um, getting our Instagram page up. And um, Kelsey, our president um, at, at Southern, I've been incorporating her in a lot of the things that we do. They were the ones who, um, she created the survey because she was like, oh, I can do it because everybody was like, well, who going to pass the surveys out? You know, Mm -hmm. because that's that thought that we have on paper surveys. And she was like, "Um, well, you can do this through Snapchat. I was like, okay, you'll do that. So they're educating us and there's so many different ways. And so my goal has been bring them in, let them bring up all these ideas that we have. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, I've been seeing the difference. They're emailing me. They're communicating with me mm-hmm. and saying what? And my daughter helps too because when I did this, she posted on Instagram, which I didn't know. Hey, my mom is the president. Y'all oh, call her. And I actually had two of her friends to call and they came to the meeting to yeah. join. That's so great. that was really great too yeah. because I, when I got a phone call, I was asking, how did she get my She's like, oh, I had, I had put your phone number <laughs> on Instagram. I'm like, she said, but I took it down after a day. I'm like, oh my gosh. But it was beneficial. Yeah. Because the young lady did come. And so my thing is with them, and I and I think that's where I bug them all the time. They tease me all the time. They be like, oh, Joanne, we know you're going to text us in the morning because I'm a texter. I, I'm emailing and texting all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's really just kind of bringing them into a different mindset of how we can reach those individuals that are younger. Mm-hmm. Because when they come to, you know, invite them to a meeting and we sitting there and we writing down stuff and passing out papers and all that type of stuff. Some of them will say, can you email it to us? You know, because that's not what they do. Right. So we're going to have to adjust our thoughts into, um, you know, what what is going to be the best way to, one, get them there, and mm-hmm. then, two, when they are there, keep them involved. Mm-hmm. So those are some things that we're doing. Like with these events that we have, we're doing a radio. I kind of reach out to those younger folks, hey, we're doing a little um, radio show. Do you want to host it? Really? Host it? What You know, to get them involved. That's right. the only way. If we kind of ignore them or just kind of dominate the conversation as we have done, but it's not to leave them out, but it's because, you know, when you're in a meeting, you're kind of trying to stick to your agenda and, and get that done. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't been beneficial for us. We, we need to kind of branch away from that, you know, traditional meeting that we have and kind of just have some just chatty conversations mm-hmm. and let them, you know, voice their opinion. And so that's something that we're trying to do. And as a result, within the last year, 
Oh, I would say since January, we have seen that we have gotten a younger, young, some more younger members to join. That's good. Yeah. The thing you bring up about Instagram, uh, <laughs> one of these podcasts, I had three uh, young people from the church mm -hmm. sitting across from me, and we were talking about social media. And I was talking about Facebook, and they said, well, Pastor, you know, Facebook is, is for old people. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> my daughter says all We that. use Instagram and Snapchat, and they mentioned something else, uh, I think the Vine. The Vine, like yeah. That. And uh, so, so I have... I have tried to incorporate, I had an Instagram account, mm -hmm. just didn't use it a whole lot. Yeah. I've tried to incorporate Instagram more into what I'm doing. Can't do Snapchat, can't do yeah. the Vine, but <laughs> Facebook and Instagram. And it's amazing to me how many more people actually pay attention to what you put on Instagram versus exactly. what you put on Facebook. On Facebook. I yeah. noticed that as well. And so, so really it's getting out. We need to get outside of our box mm -hmm. and try to see, you know, what we can do differently to bring those individuals in and so that they can be involved. And so I found that when I say, hey, you know, can you update our Instagram page? Yeah, I can do that. I mean, it's not that they're resistant to doing the work. Mm -hmm. It's just that we're not involved in them mm -hmm. because each person that we've asked, they've, they've, you know, been more than happy. And when we, again, had the, the tailgating, when we got there, um, she had like six or seven people with her, you know, who were willing. And they were walking around. They were involved. And so so that helped us a lot, I think, to actually let folks see that, you know, we are involved in the younger people because they're the ones that are going to be here. And like I say all the time, they're the ones who are out in the street at night. You know, I don't get stopped by I the understand. police. I <laughs> I'm not riding around like they are. They're the ones who need to be getting this, the knowledge of this and so that they can be able to move forward in, in life and know what they should and should not be doing. Do you think that the emergence of President Trump and uh, a far more uh, divisive Republican conservative movement uh, in this country and closer to home in Baton Rouge, do you think that that has contributed to renewed interest by young people in organizations such as the NAACP? I think so. I really think so because, um, one, they're trying to find a way to do things one, I would say in, in a structured way, to be mm -hmm. a part of an organization that is um, already established, already kind of know which direction to go in, mm -hmm. okay? As we, we are aware that it has kind of fallen off through the years as far as with the age. And so if we could get those individuals in and people are now seeing, hearing, um, watching on the news more racist scenarios, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I, again, and I, and I always, you know, refer to, for, to uh, my daughter when, when she was younger, it, it, when I remember when um, she would go to school, you know, whatever, and I was like saying, well, what's your teacher name? You know, whatever. I said, she black or white? And she was like, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? How yeah. do you know if she's black or white? <laughs> but, you know, it's like they don't really view that that way. So now that they're getting up, because at one point, you know, it was a little, you know, from when I was growing up, we uh -huh. knew lights on one side of Absolutely. the uh, campus, the blacks on the other side of campus. When we right. got in class, we interacted, but when we got out, we separated. And so now they're like, their eyes are being open. Oh, 
white people don't like black people? White people don't really, you know, and they're experiencing it in a different way. Yeah. So I think, yeah, their eyes are being opened a little bit. And so now they're like, I think we need to do something. And how can we do something? Mm -hmm. And so they want to come and be a part of organizations that can kind of guide them along the way. And we're certainly looking for them to come along and um, tell us what you all are thinking. Right. Tell us, you know, what are your ideas and how do you think we can um, function differently and how we can interact differently. Obviously, bylaws exist in any organization and you stick with those, but mm -hmm. other little processes and steps that we can take to um, be more productive and be more beneficial to the community, that's what we're really looking for. Yeah. Uh, the concern that I have is just what you voiced, that uh, there's a generation and perhaps two generations of, of young African-American people uh, that have thought previous to uh, President Trump that uh, any hints of discrimination and bigotry mm -hmm. and, and racism, those are all parts of a bygone era. That, mm -hmm. That's not the modern world. What, right. Why are you living in the past? Yep. And I think that it has been an eye-opening discovery for mm -hmm. these, these generations right. of black people that under certain situations, yeah. You, you you're thought of as being different. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, know, you 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 you're not a part of of the group. Mm -hmm. And 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 those who are a part of uh, the the Caucasian race have no problem right. drawing those lines Absolutely. of distinction, especially when it comes to certain uh, aspects of economics, certain right. aspects of of academic achievement, certain. Mm -hmm. uh, abilities to accomplish and achieve and succeed mm -hmm. in the workplace, they have no problem right. drawing these lines of distinction. When it comes to uh, social uh, uh, services and things of that sort, they have no problem drawing those lines right. of distinction. And they're taught this at the dinner table. Exactly. They're taught this in their homes. Right. And now, now, now they, they cover it real well mm -hmm. until times uh, of crisis arise. And right. then all of a sudden, uh, all the covering comes mm -hmm. off. And it's, it's frustrating to me to see young black people look like deers caught in headlights mm -hmm. when they realize... Oh, they think that way right. about us. Exactly. And and, and and if you're listening and you ain't black, I ain't talking about everybody. I'm not <laughs> saying that everybody feels that way. Right. But but there are enough people who do feel that way that mm -hmm. our children have to be made aware of exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. And in, in, in you saying that they're taught this way at the dinner table, and, you know, we kind of teach a little differently. We right. teach love everyone, right. you know, treat everyone this, you know, and to, you know, get along with everybody right. you know so therefore you get to the point where unfortunately in some cases you kind of have that child or, or that person that's just kind of like well why are they treating me this way you told me to treat them nice and right. treat, treat them be, and be good so you have to have really two conversations we want you to be nice we want you to be respectful of individuals but we also want you to be aware we want you to be aware that there is a possibility you may be in this situation and this is how you would address it this mm -hmm. is how you would need to stand up for yourself and communicate about this or that because there is going to be that day when you are reminded that you are different. Yes. It's going to happen. Yes. You know, so no matter how many friends you have, you know, that don't look like you, you're still going to find yourself in that situation. Let's shift gears uh, okay. for a second. Let's talk about uh, your, your job as uh, 
human resources okay. uh, 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 representative. Who do you work for, and, and, and what is it that you do human resources for? Okay. I work for EQ Health Solutions, and it is a health management system, and it's here locally in, in Baton Rouge, although we have other offices in various states, so I recruit pretty much for most of those other states mm -hmm. and hire nurses, doctors, all of those um, behavior analysts. So we have accounts with um, the federal government that deal with Medicaid. So we may hi have a, a hire a behavior analyst that may need to go in and, and service a, a child with mm -hmm. um, ADD or something of that nature. So mm -hmm. those are the types of um, um, people that I hire, our company work for. We're also our IT solutions company, so we do kind of create our own data system, so it's kind of twofold. So we do both of those things. <laughs> okay, ADD is Attention Deficit Disorder. Yes. IT is Internet Technology. Did yeah, I say that right? Information Technology. Information Technology. <laughs> and that's why I want you to, right. to spell it out. Yeah. Because just like I made that mistake, somebody else would, right, right, right. And they think you know what you're talking about, right, and you right. don't. So... In your role as uh, uh, human resources uh, person, mm -hmm. what's your general thoughts about the workforce in in the greater Baton Rouge area? Are we prepared? Or are we ill-prepared? Are we adequately prepared? Mm. If you had to give preparation a, a letter grade, what, what grade would you give it? Hmm. I would give it a C. Okay. And um, the reason why, um, and, and I guess we could group it into categories, individuals who um, have degrees in specific areas, they are more than likely going to go and try to apply to be an accountant, if that's what they're in. They're going to try to be a, 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 an engineer. But, you know, we do have folks that kind of just graduate and, you know, they have some general studies or just a business degree or don't have a degree at all. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, they may find themselves applying for whatever is available, mm -hmm. okay? So what I find is that a lot of times they're not educated about the position that they're applying for, the way that they're communicating um, when trying to find out information about the position, I, I, I find that to be a, a weak spot, and, mm -hmm. it, and it's continuous, and so so much so that sometimes I cheat, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, the job is this. I say, you need to go here, you know, because I already know the manager that you're going to interview with. Right. I already know that they may critique in this particular area, and so, you know, it, you see that automatically. Um, I worked prior to this job at, at LSU for like nine years, and it was my little thing and they already knew when they came into the door this job is mostly online so I've got to hear your voice so when they would come through the door I'd be like they not gonna last and they be like and so now then they would say what you think about it? I said they not gonna make it because of how they're interacting how right. they're communicating and unfortunately a lot of times it's just minor things mm -hmm. that they should be doing listening not talking sometimes they'll come in and they start asking um, general questions about people that are there that they may know or something like that. So I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily that it say that it's education. Mm -hmm. I would say that it's kind of a, more of a culture to be more lax. 
you know, when we, me, you know, we were going looking for jobs, you dressed up, you right. were more professional, and you came in with a professional mindset. And so now we're so casual, even the way we dress and the way we come to, to work on a daily basis, they come that way a lot of times when they are interviewing. So it's never that moment where they are in that zone of, I want to put on my best self mm -hmm. so that I can get this job. They come in very comfortable and lax in that, mm -hmm. in that regard. So it's almost to me, and I say this a lot of times, that we kind of need to go back to that old school where you would have to go through the resume training right. and all of that on what to say and how to address things. Add in now that it wasn't there when I was um, going through these things of how to negotiate salaries right. because a lot of times your resume does indicate that you have a lot of experience, but you lowball yourself. We have a tendency to do that and not ask for the right um, amount, but someone that may know that skill right. and ask for a whole lot. Then when you find out what they making later on, you're upset, man, I got a degree. They don't have a degree. Why are they getting paid $10,000 more than me? Well, right. you know, you ask for $10,000 less. So a lot of tips like that, again, I think that we need to start educating this generation mm -hmm. on because they just kind of get very, 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 very comfortable and just think, okay, I'm applying for a job. Either you're going to hire me or you're not, and, you know, kind of go from there. And I think that's why they're overlooked and don't don't really get the opportunity to get on the job, prove themselves, work, and you know, be able to move forward in their careers and life. How do tattoos affect presentation mm -hmm. when someone walks in your office? And I'm asking this for a specific reason. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you probably asking the wrong person. Uh, because, you <laughs> no, know, oh I, my God. This is what you do for a living. So <laughs> I have made the point that while you are free to do what mm -hmm. you want to do, when a person is hiring you, mm -hmm. they're hiring you to represent them and their company. Right. And they have the right to say that your presentation mm -hmm. is not what we are looking for as representative of our company. Exactly. And you can't walk out of the room and say they have discriminated against me because I'm black. Because mm -hmm. it might not be because you're black. Right. It might be because you have tattoos exactly. all over the place. And I... That, that's my rant, mm -hmm. but I don't, this is your job, so I'm asking you, how does that affect you in your job? Well, I would have to separate that, but this is what I, this is how I group it. Are the tattoos visible? Meaning, here we are in July, maybe, you know, it's hot, that you come in with the tank top on, you know, showing First off the of tattoos. coming to a job interview in a tank top, something's wrong to well, begin with. they come with the tank top. My opinion. But, but okay. <laughs> they come with the tank top yeah. and the tights and the shorts and all of that. You know, so. Come that, looking for a job. Come in looking for a job. Not prepared. Incredible. Incredible <laughs> is what I say. And when I, I, you know, to me, I be wanting to like. Do you ever don't say to them. Come in here with this Baby, song? go home <laughs> and come back in an hour dressed differently and, and and I will move you to the front of the line and, and I, I will see but you can't come in here looking for a job have you ever said that or have you ever wanted to I say I have that? wanted to say that probably a thousand times um, but I haven't said it when they came for the interview but later on when they come for the orientation I will mm -hmm. because the interview when they come through my office, 
I'm usually passing them on to the manager. Mm-hmm. So I want to see, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Right. You know, or whatever. So if they come back with a, well, I think they were great and this and that or whatever, then that's what I'll say when I'm calling on the phone. Hey, orientation is on this day. Make sure you wear this, that, 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 mm-hmm. and the other. So I'll give it to them in that way. Okay. So when they first come in, I'm doing what you're doing. I'm observing the tattoos. I'm looking at them, and I'm like saying, what will make them come in with it? I mean, we've had people come in and, you know, with party dresses on their party dresses to me the shiny sequency maybe they didn't have anything else to wear and that could be the case i appreciate you still coming right. for the interview right so but that to me is a, a teaching opportunity but then also folks are not receptive to you know that initial you know feedback mm-hmm. you know on, on different things because not even just addressing their um, attire, but our little office was pretty small, and so when they would all come in together, let's say we hire five to six people at a time, and they kind of all piled in, they're talking loud, they're this and that, and they're on their phones or cell phones. I have been doing orientation, and they're on their phones the whole time, and you clearly give your little speech. Phones, no use of cell phones during this time. And if you speak to them about it, they're mad, they're upset, they're frustrated. Oh, I need my phone on. I'm waiting for a phone call. Blah 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 blah. blah. Yes. Do they you do want a job? I'm telling you. If you want a job, and the person who is responsible for giving you the job says you need to stop doing this, common sense ought to say, I need to stop doing this. I need to put the phone they down. Don't. They don't. Mm-mm. So no. That's Incredible. Yes. That's where they're on the job, then they stay on there for a week or two, and then they're gone. They they rotate from job to job to job. So, again, back to, you know, me and, and, and that trainer in me that's like, these people need to be trained old school way how you go right. to a job. Right. I know, you know, everybody has tattoos. I know everybody, it's hot. And you, we wear tank tops in the summer and all of this type of stuff. But for this particular one hour, <laughs> that's all it's going to be. Right. You know, don't do it. Right. You know, and, and I've seen it so many times. And it, it's a repetitive thing. But, again, it's kind of the nonchalant take-me-or-leave-it kind of personality. The other part that irritates me <laughs> is, is the idea that the person who comes in dressed more professionally is considered to be bougie. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> they, 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 they come in all bougie and everything. Mm-hmm. No, they're coming in prepared. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> prepared is not bougie. What, 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 what you're describing is someone who actually wants a job exactly. and is willing to conform to the necessary business uh, uh, accepted uh, criteria in mm-hmm. order to get a job. And I don't see why that is problematic for people. Especially when you consider the fact that in this city, Mm -hmm. uh, black unemployment is much higher Mm -hmm. than white counterparts. Yeah. Uh, You know, president can tout all he wants about about a three point (laughs) eight percent unemployment rate. That ain't the case with us. Mm -mm. First of all, it's not it's not the case nationally with African Americans, but in this city in particular, and 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 within certain zip codes within this city, Mm -hmm. unemployment is is double digit. Exactly. So. If you want to work, Mm -hmm. if you want a job, if you want to stop doing the stuff that you're doing in order to put money in your pocket, you want to take a more legitimate path uh, towards employment and towards uh, improving your life, then maybe you ought to listen to the person who actually has a job sitting on the other side of the desk telling you, 
you need to to straighten up. Exactly, exactly. And even sometimes when they get on a job, so let's say we let them slide through all of this, the tattoos, the, the poor dressing and the, the loud talking on <laughs> day one and everything. And so now you're here and your behavior is all day. <laughs> what you doing? Nothing's boring. You know, yeah. <laughs> you're on the job, you know, yeah. pretend like you're doing something, you know. So it's, I'm here, I'm getting paid. It's your responsibility to direct me to do work every day. It's your responsibility to tell me to put the phone down and to sit up straight and not doze off to sleep on the job. So then you have that. But when you, me, are now tasked with the responsibility of saying, hey, um, we're going to have to let you go. Right. Then you want to have a, a fit. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, they, they discriminate over there. They didn't tame me on anything. They didn't, You know, so you have that. Yeah. So, again, they, they go through all of this, and, and they want to be the victim in many cases, you know, of, you know, woe is me. I tried. I came to work, but they never did tell me to do anything. I've heard all of those things. Right. And, um, and then especially when it comes to attendance, the, the biggest thing is not even coming to work. Or when you do come. You're, you're late all the time, and mm-hmm. so naturally, that's the number one reason that people get let go from the job. And I and I, my mantra has always been with attendance. When they would come to my office, I say, no, if it's attendance, yeah, my pet peeve is attendance. Being on time and coming to work. That's the least you can do. Absolutely. That's the le- if you show up, you know, then you can maybe say I came to work every day and you didn't show me what I needed to do. You might right. can put it on the supervisor, but if you're not even here, so that's an issue. They don't come to work and. And I guess back into, you know, if it's a generational thing or if it's just internal, personal, you know, some people just have that. They could have a parent that go to work every day and come on time and they have just, you know, as my dad used to say, you form the habit of doing silly things, you know, and so you choose not to come to work. So I wish that. Um, you know, the, the mindset would change and they would be more serious about, you know, working and, and taking responsibility for themselves so that you can be able to go in and, and get your own apartment and get a car and you won't have to be hanging out on the streets and having all of this idle time. Right. So, you know, if if we could find a way to, to change that and, you know, as far as those of us who are responsible and who are in, in, in the world of hiring folks and all of that could stuff be able to relay the, the value of if you do it right mm-hmm. you know these are the things that you can have mm-hmm. you wouldn't be in this boat where you you don't you know you aren't able to make it and aren't able to get what you need you know so I guess you know we can take some responsibility on if we're communicating it and I know uh, I, I do my daughter that all the time she'll say oh I'm coming home um, on Friday I'm like what time you get off work you took off you she'd be like you don't even be trying to say when I'm coming home I need how this job work it out yes. it's, oh, you doing what you need to do all that Absolutely. don't come here unless you taking care of that so you know that's our thing and so now she'll say I took off I'm getting off at 12 I'll be like okay as no. long as you got that straight you no. know so so that's me and I, and, and I constantly do that so I wish that other parents would encourage their kids to, to do the right thing and it can start with minor things if you start being on time for other things right. and you know and kind of get that sense of um, urgency about other things naturally I think it would just be a natural process to do it on your job and in other um, environments. <laughs> Let's flip the, 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 the page one more time. Okay. You're a singer, and, and you and your siblings 
uh, had a musical. I actually saw oh, yeah, you yeah. That's right. on Facebook right. at one time singing with, mm-hmm. with your siblings. Talk, talk to me about singing and, and your enjoyment of singing. Okay. So, years ago, or from birth, I guess you will, my dad was a minister, and so he, we could sing our families. My sisters play the piano, so one of my sisters played for our group. We were the Porter family. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's five of us, but my oldest brother didn't always sing with us, so it was just four of us. And so, when he would run revivals, we would always sing on the last night, so it was our thing. We were mm-hmm. known for singing, and my sisters formed community choirs. There was over things, so we were always doing it. So, it's just been a part of our life. We were in chorus in school and always went to all of the tryouts and all those type of things. So it's embedded in our existence. So um, a few years ago, um, and it was after, um, because ironically, um, my two sisters, um, all three of us have a daughter that's the same age. And so when they all graduated from um, high school and some other friends that were in town, we all were like saying, well, okay, our kids are out of school now. Let's kind of pick this back up because mm-hmm. we kind of put it down. And so we're going to start a music group. Mm-hmm. So we came up with this name, Anointed Impact, Mighty Praisers, Anointed and Kept. That's what Impact stands for, E-M-P-A-K. And so we would go back home to Bugaloosa. My sister lives in Hattiesburg. I live here. Another person lived in Covington. So we were all okay, committed to coming home, and we did. And when people saw, oh, they're singing again, mm-hmm. You know, they were asking us to sing everywhere. It was getting mm-hmm. a little bit much because we were just going every weekend to sing and singing here at the choir, in the choir. And I think I was on the praise team during that time. So it was it was quite a bit for everyone. But we loved it because of the fellowship that we would have and whenever we would come from rehearsal, we would cook or my mom would always cook food. So we just made it a girl's thing and we just kind of just really um, allowed it to just kind of, you know, really be an enjoyment for us and something that we wanted to do and that we love to do. Mm-hmm. So um, we we kind of stopped the group about, it's been about two and a half years now that we, we've sang together. So um, one of our, the friends that was in it, she's married, a pastor, so she's with them. So my sister's gotten married again. So everybody's life now has picked back up right. since then. So we kind of are moving on to a different journey. But music is something that I love. I love singing in the choir all the time. And my voice is horsey now all the time. We even have to sing it a little bit. So we ha- I have literally worn it out. Mm-hmm. So when people be like, oh, I, I have been singing so much all my life, so it, it, it doesn't even matter anymore, but I love it. Well, beyond gospel music, which is what you all mm-hmm. sang when you were together, yeah. what's your favorite genre of, of music? Um... R&B, Babyface is my favorite on the earth. And everybody's like, oh, I love Babyface. But I do I listen to Babyface all the time. But um, Stevie Wonder, R&B is really my music, old, old school music like that. I, I really enjoy it. It's funny when you say old school because it depends on how old you are. Ex- exactly. What old school exactly. Really That's is. true. That's true. <laughs> but uh, uh, had, you, had you ever thought about singing other types of music you or your sisters thought about singing other types of music or did you sing other types of music besides not me i'm the weakest link in the in the chain (laughs) and and everyone knows that my role is to choose the songs rearrange the songs get the musicians they already know that i'm already saying jennifer this song will be good for you send it up that nicole you can sing this or whatever Mm -hmm. so that's kind of my my role but my brother he 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 loves jazz music he he loves um layla hathaway 
check this song out, listen to this. And he's all, so he would have been that person to, to go out. Mm-hmm. And when um, he sang, um, we were, he's a year older than I am. When we were in school, he was like the star person to sing all the time in chorus. When mm-hmm. we had our reunion, um, uh, our mass reunion in December this year, I, he has to be, sometimes he's just like, you know, I don't feel like singing right now. You know, and I'm like, look, when we can hear these people, going to be asking you to sing, so make sure you sing, and they're going to keep saying, where are you at? So he does, and he'll do that. And so he branches out and sings um, in, in other areas, and he, he can do that very well outside okay. of me. So me, nah, not so much. Well, final thoughts. Gotcha. Uh, Baton Rouge as a community mm-hmm. uh, in total, no particular aspect. Uh, You've clearly chosen to make Baton Rouge your home. I'm assuming that you're going to stay in Baton Rouge. It might be an incorrect assumption, Mm -hmm. but but, but let's just maybe, maybe not. Where do you see Baton Rouge in the next 15 years? Let's let's try to go 15 years out. What do you see about Baton Rouge? Good, bad, ugly, indifferent. What do you see about Baton Rouge? Hmm. To be honest, I see Baton Rouge probably almost the same. And I and and maybe not. I mean, infrastructure will probably change. Um, but I don't see where there is going to be well, let me let me change that. I do see where there are some changes that are happening now with um different folks, meaning kind of like what we've been talking about all along the way, more younger folks getting involved in the the civil rights um, Mm -hmm. type of issues. I do Mm -hmm. see that change. I, I hear it Um, Like I said, folks come to our meetings and and they discuss and they have shared things with us. So I do think that that will improve Mm -hmm. because having work, being working with um, the NAACP and even with, you know, getting people to attend these events that we're talking about. I'm learning of grassroots organizations that I never even heard of that a lot of young folks have founded and started and they're doing well. They do a lot of things around the city. So I do see that Mm -hmm. happening. But what I was initially getting at as sometimes the political side of of Baton Rouge, I don't see it changing a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, and And the reason why is because one, we still have a, a large number of people who don't put forth the effort in, in voting as they should mm-hmm. to make those changes with the political leaders that we have. And in some cases, I think um, some folks are, are okay with it, it, it being the way it is, and they don't see it, you know, needing a, a drastic makeover. St. George, do you think it will happen or not? I think that maybe... Don't hedge. Don't go maybe. Do you think it will happen or not? Because I've already got my thoughts. I think it will happen. I do, too. (laughs) I think it will happen. This time around, I do, too. I do. And I think that it's a huge mistake. Yeah, Uh, I definitely do. But but I definitely think it's going to happen. I think that will change the makeup of of Baton Rouge and, and of East Baton Rouge Parish. I think that we are in for a huge fight, at least I hope we're in for a huge fight, yeah. with regard to the school system, because yeah. they're, they're going this long way around just to get 
control of the schools out there. Exactly. And you really have to want it bad if you're going to form an entire city and lie to your constituency going in saying that it's going to cost X when you know it's going to cost X times Y to get get control of a school system. And I hope that uh, East Baton Rouge Parish school system fights tooth and nail uh, in order to keep them from getting it. And if you can't keep them from getting it, make them pay for it. We didn't make Baker pay for their schools. We didn't make Central pay for their schools. We didn't make Zachary pay for their schools. By God, we ought to make St. George pay for the schools. Right. Will the NAACP have a role in any of this? Are, Are you looking at that? Are you looking at things like gerrymandering districts because uh, the new census is 2020 and and lines are going to be drawn uh, again. Uh, Are are these things that the NAACP is looking at Mm -hmm. in the future? Yeah, we're definitely looking at that in the future and and we continue to talk about it in in, in our meetings and and, and keep it on our radar and even if we don't we'll have someone that that visit the meeting that night that like, hey, what are you all doing about it? So it's something that we get and we get emails all the time where people are are giving us some insights, people that live in, in those areas of what's going on. So we definitely are trying to, um, not trying, but definitely keeping our ears to the ground and making sure that we are connecting with the right people who we can, you know, voice our opinions and say, no, we we don't want this to happen and we want this to go in a different direction. Thank you so much for taking the time to Thank be you with us. I hope me. this wasn't too painful no, it an wasn't. experience. No, uh, it wasn't. I was a little nervous, but um, <laughs> it was it was a smooth process. I think you handled it very well. Thank Good. you all for listening. Thank you Thank all for you. viewing. We'll be back next time.